Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to All The Right Movies. I know some of you may have been expecting our usual show. We were scheduled to talk about All The President's Men today. Due to some unforeseen circumstances, we're having to delay that release until next week. But we've got something fantastic in its place. You're about to hear the latest episode of A Life In Movies, our movie interview show. Today I'm talking to the writer, director and actor Greg Sestero, probably best known as the star of Tommy Wiseau's bonafide cult classic, The Room. So tune back in next week for all the President's Men, but for now, enjoy my conversation with Greg. everyone welcome to life and movies the interview show from all the right movies my name is luke on the show we talk to people in entertainment about three of their favorite films and today i'm talking to an actor writer producer director and award-winning author of the disaster artist which was adapted for the screen chronicling the making of story of the cult classic movie the room which was directed by the enigmatic tommy Wiseau. it is a joy to welcome greg sestero how are you doing greg good it's great to be here Thank you very much for joining me. Can't wait to hear what films you have in store for us. So um, where are you talking from? Where you're at? I'm in Austin, Texas at the moment. It is about 100 degrees outside. Uh, <laughs> Austin is, is such a great, it's such a great city with so much culture and food, great film festivals. But yeah, the summertime, you got to just be cautious of when yeah. you decide to go outside. Yeah, you've got to get that sun cream on. <laughs> have you been in the UK recently? I think I noticed on your Instagram you've been up here. I did. I, I try to come to the UK twice a year. I love it there. The people, the culture, uh, the cinema, the the crowds there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was doing some anniversary screenings uh, earlier this year and uh, had a blast. I was in Newcastle, Liverpool. Spent the day in Durham, walking right. around, which is a which is a really beautiful, it's beautiful. place. Not, uh, and I know I'm going to mispronounce this, but Nasbro, 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 uh, Nasbro. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, just getting a chance to get out there and see the the towns and the and the the cities so i had a blast I'm hoping to come back again later this year uh, so i love yeah traveling's always been one of my passions it's always been filmmaking and traveling yeah i mean durham it's about five mile from where i am yeah i walked the whole day i did i did the whole the whole mountain and walked around I had lunch with a friend on, on the river there so yeah i mean it's beautiful like there's a real there's a lot of history in those little towns and they filmed some of harry potter i think in in durham or a few movies yeah that's there. right yeah, and in Northumberland, they've just, well, two recent films or two new films, the new Indiana Jones, the new Mission Impossible, were both filmed in Northumberland, so it's becoming quite the venue for shooting. Oh, what's the name of that city? Northumberland. It's just north. It's kind of on the border of Scotland. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, now I, another place i got to check out. Now i got to come back. <laughs> okay, so coming to you live from Austin, Texas, we're going to be talking about three movies that Greg has chosen. Are these your all-time faves, Greg, or ones that have just jumped out to you when I asked for them? Uh, I think they were definitely my top ten. I, my top ten revolves around comfort. Like, do I throw these on because I love the score, the, the vibe? You know, how many times can I rewatch them or relive them? Mm-hmm. That's what I gravitate towards when I call a movie one of my favorites or one that I love to talk about. Yeah, you get the comfort from them. Yeah, I'm the same. And you've got a good cross-section of films, I think, hitting quite a few genres. So let's get into it. What is your first pick, Greg? 
My first film that made the biggest impact on me that I've rewatched now for almost 40 years, <laughs> scary to say that, is uh, Back to the Future. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, as iconic as they come, this one. Robert Zemeckis' 80s classic, Michael J. Fox stars as Marty McFly, a high school slacker who is sent back to 1955 in a time machine. In order to get back home, he has to alter the course of history so that he can return home with his parents living happily ever after. I'm sure everybody listening knows the story. So what is it about Back to the Future that you love so much, Greg? Um, I think it starts with something in that story that we can all relate to. Yeah, yeah. The the film was developed by Bob Gale, the screenwriter, and he was home Mm. visiting his parents and he found an old yearbook. And he was like, what I've been friends with my dad. That's sort of how it started. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then it evolved into this amazing film. Now, I saw it at the same theater that I watched uh, Empire Strikes Back at. It was the local theater that played movies. Back then, movies played for sometimes week, months, sometimes years. Yeah. And um, saw Back to the Future with my dad. And I remember I came home after seeing it, and I didn't, I didn't, I had so much, like, there was just movie magic in that cinema. And I was like, what do I, mm-hmm. what do I do with it? What do I do with this? So yeah. I, I randomly started playing with my Star Wars figures and recreated Back to the Future, <laughs> the movie, <laughs> with my Star Wars figures. It was so bizarre. But I just think it's the idea – it was the first time it was really – time travel was introduced to us in a way that was accessible. That yeah. we could sit here and be like, if I went into my car and I was able to go back to a time in my life and relive that, what would I do? It made it visceral. It made it seem almost possible. Another mm-hmm. thing I really loved about the film was the relationship between Doc and Marty McFly. I never would understand why those two guys would be friends. Yeah. And I never judged I never judged their friendship. It wasn't like what's going on between them. I just sensed this bond mm-hmm. that that these two people in their lives that they sort of needed each other. And there's no real specific reason why. It's just that they did. And we accepted it. And and, and I, I just kind of I love the idea of him convincing Doc in the beginning, you know, um, mm-hmm. I need to go back to 1985 and, and the idea of the fear and the love we have of the future of what's coming and what's yeah. there. Um, and it just sort of, it was another movie that sent a, a set a benchmark for us looking forward. What, what's life going to be like in 2015? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of things are, are, are ahead of us? What, what are, what, what have our lives been if our parents didn't meet? So, it, it yeah. raised so many questions and, and, and again with so many other films as well is the the score the music mm. like, oh, that wonderful. music the music lives within your mind and you think about it and you can listen to the to the soundtrack and then back to the future it was something i watched again over time and then i moved to a place in la called south pasadena and mm-hmm. i had no idea that is where they filmed back to the future so i'm taking a right. walk and I'm like, this street looks really familiar. And I'm walking down this street with the trees over it. And I, I literally walk in. It was like 9 p.m. at night. The streets were quiet. It was like it was a beautiful night. And I look up and I see the tree that George McFly was on. Wow. was the peeping tom. And I just remember looking up at it. And I was like, that's what, that's what this movie has meant to me. It sort of traveled with me for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It, it gave me sort of hope when I was in LA in the beginning and trying to become an actor and trying to find my way. And now I'm living in those sets. Like I'm living yeah. in those neighborhoods. Incredible. And then I found out Doc Brown's house is right like 10 minutes away. So I, 
during all these nights, I would walk these locations, George McFly's house when they're like outside and he's talking to him, he's holding laundry. These, yeah. all these Steven Spielberg loves South Pasadena. So he films there a lot and all these sets were within a few blocks. And so it sort of became a movie that to me represented hope. Right. Cool. Marty McFly starts out with all these like hopes and dreams and, and yeah. you know, he goes through this crazy journey and he comes back and you see that look in his eye where he, appreciates it so much more and and that yeah. always stayed with me so it's been a movie just really has followed me my entire life and it's uh it's just one of those movies just studying about it how they didn't know what it was going to be they couldn't come up with the right title it was supposed to be like the man from mars or something yes, like man that from Pluto. yeah 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 and so <laughs> it was a movie and, and i love movies where they don't they're earnest. They don't expect it to be a blockbuster. They have no idea what it's going to, how yeah. it's going to go. And it came out around the 4th of July weekend. Like it's coming up for us right now. It came out yeah. this weekend in 1985. And so it's a movie with people, again, Christopher Lloyd had done taxi, I think. And he had been in yeah. a bunch of other projects. So it was just such a, such a, one of those movies that hits the home run where everybody who's cast is just meant to play that part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Michael J. Fox is just, absolutely irresistible in the lead as well although eric stoltz almost got, well he had the part and then he got fired i think six weeks into production because they wanted Jay so Fox, they talk, but he was yeah. on family ties they talk about that too and it's sort of you know making a movie is is takes everything out of you there's so much going on you doubt yourself you're wondering you make the right decisions and that was such a bold choice for for the producers because oh, you know they're watching the dailies of this film that they've shot a lot of and you you're looking at it and uh they're not we're, we're just not getting the laughs yeah, yeah like this is a this is a funny quirky story and we're not getting any laughs so i think for them to go back and reshoot the movie all over again just took so much like confidence and, and belief in this film and in 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 michael j fox who was meant to play that part so yeah uh with behind every classic great movie there's always those stories of of taking risks and i think Back to the Future, the characters, what they're up against, you know, their bodies disappearing on that photo. If you don't make yeah. the right decision, if you don't come mm -hmm. through this, there's just the high stakes that I love uh, about the movie. And of course, in any great movie, you need that, that the comedy, you need um, some of those laughs. And that's what it does yeah. so well. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, 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 and something else that's funny, again, this movie following, following me my whole life. When I, when I first moved to L.A. and I was auditioning, um, they would have pilots uh, mm -hmm. audition for, for TV pilots on the Universal lot, right? And on the Universal lot, you can take a studio tour. You can do the studios. Um, yeah. So I had a audition at one of the sound stages. And I peek back and I see this long pathway. I didn't get the damn part. My audition went terrible. So I'm <laughs> like, hey, I'm here. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start walking. So I start walking, and I'm not supposed to be back there because it's for studios and executives mm -hmm. and all that. So I walk all the way around the corner. There's carts passing me where they're taking people, and I walk in to Hill Valley. The oh set. wow! And you're not supposed to be back there. It's closed off. Yeah. But I got to walk around Hill Valley all by myself. Wow! Nobody told me leave. Nobody said anything, and I was like. You know, I'd been in LA for almost a year. I'd mm -hmm. only gotten a movie called Retro Puppet Master and a soapbox. So I was, yeah. it was a tough time because, you know, you go on 60, 70 auditions and you're, you're just trying to keep your hope up. But I remember thinking, yeah. if I never get anything, if I, this was, this was my purpose to come to LA to walk around Hill Valley by myself 
it was like that that was worth it and it was funny yeah. how much smaller the set felt felt in person but it was <laughs> the old school back to feature the clock tower of the town oh, it was it was incredible and then a few years later uh, there was a fire that destroyed a lot of it um right but i really i got a chance to have my moment in, in hell valley around that time cool do you have a favorite scene from back to the future greg i would say i just love just from an, an imagination standpoint I love when Marty goes back to 1955 because it's just one of those things. I think, I don't know whether it's implanted from that movie or our imagination, but there's times where you wake up or you go somewhere and you wonder, did I just go back in time? Like, am I, Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of going through a deja vu feeling. And so when he goes back and walks around in 1955 to me as, as someone who, who loves movies and loves creativity, of dressing that set and dressing that town 30 years yeah. earlier. Uh, it's just so much fun how he, how he has to discover he's in a different time. And I remember I, I took it kind of far. I, I tend to do this when I love movies, but um, I was, I must've been 12. So I had the idea of tricking my dad into thinking he went back in time. So I got up super early one morning and my dad would save these front page of newspapers of historic events, right? Right. So whether it was sporting event or presidential election. So I went into his drawer <laughs> and I found this old headline that went back like mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah. And I went outside and got the newspaper and rewrapped it and put it there. And then I was like, I'm going <laughs> to pretend I'm like seven or whatever, or whatever I would have been. And so he opens the newspaper and he starts reading it and he's like, what the hell? Like what? I thought this already happened. And he completely was like completely fully had no idea. I could have thought of that and gone <laughs> that far and done it. Um, and so I just, yeah, I think when, when I think of back to the future, I think of that, that complete mind warp of what that would feel like to be back yeah. in an era where you're stuck. It's exhilarating. It's terrifying. And I think that's when the movie to me um, becomes most exciting. Again, it's a movie that, that it has that sort of, feeling where you want to live inside it. And I think that the, the scene that really that I always come back to is, is Marty discovering his life in 1955. You know where 1640 Riverside... Are you going to order Come something, on. kid? Uh, yeah. Give me, give me a tab. Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. All right, give me a Pepsi free. If you want a Pepsi, pal, you're going to pay for it. Look, just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Some of that sugar... Okay, now for film two, Greg, what have you got for us? Film two uh, is not quite as uplifting as uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> it's a movie that I saw now in high school, so I'm slightly more grown up. And this one has a very different tone. It's a movie called Fire in the Sky. Yeah, directed by Robert Lieberman and based on a true story, Fire in the Sky stars D.B. Sweeney, Robert Patrick, and Peter Berg, members of a logger team who encounter extraterrestrial life form in the woods when one of the crew disappears, the remaining team are the lead suspects when the town and the police suspect foul play. So what does Fire in the Sky mean to you, Greg? Fire in the Sky, I watched it on a VHS late at night. Um, yeah. And it still, to this day, stands as the most terrifying alien abduction scene I've ever Very much. witnessed. Oh, terrifying. It's a movie that, it's a movie even that my mom was absolutely fascinated by. Because... I think the scenes were done by ILM, George Lucas's mm -hmm. uh, company. Yeah, it revolves around these these dudes that are out in the Arizona desert, and there's this 
bright red light that comes out and one of the the uh, loggers goes running out his name was travis walton and he stands under yeah. it and he gets sapped and then they they get scared and they leave and they come back and he's gone um and then so it's, it's over the next five days they're being interviewed by the cops they think something tragic happened to him they think some you know some sort of foul play but they pass all these lie detector tests and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden at a gas station late one night he shows up with no clothes on and talking about this insane story. Uh, so I think it was obviously the back then the the fear of the unknown. I mean, I think that movie really made you believe in aliens, what could happen. Um, yeah. Now, since then, I've progressed to where I interviewed the real life subject, Travis Walton. I spoke to him. Oh, really? Phone. Wow. We got in touch. A very interesting man. He's about my dad's age and he still lives in the same small town that he uh, was living in. He's still friends with the the guy who who drove off and and, and that, oh, really? the friendship in that story. Uh, yeah. But we talk about it. He tells me that there was even more to the story than that was put in the film. And mm-hmm. I guess he wrote a book and has talked about a lot of different stories about what happened. But to me, what it sounds like is they were probably out on property. They weren't supposed to be out on probably back in the seventies doing some mm-hmm. sort of interesting party paraphernalia <laughs> that they had. And yeah. uh, probably had to avoid getting targeted or getting in trouble. Um, that's what it kind of sounds like. The more you look into it, but okay. what I love so much about what I love so much about the film is, as the viewer, you're in that car with them. You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. You obviously know what you saw, but you're having to deal with the police and everyone asking you and not believing you in a way that makes you frustrated and makes you want to know where the hell did Travis go? Like. Yeah. I, so what it, the film does is then it, it, it goes back and builds up the backstory of the friendship of where they were and how they became close friends. So it makes you care even more about that relationship and you wonder where Travis Absolutely. is. And you got these guys, yeah. these guys that come out of nowhere with like a business card that talk about UFOs, that talk mm-hmm. about what they think they might know, what happened to Travis. So yeah, I think for, for me now, and I think nowadays if this film was made, Presently, I think you'd have a lot more influx of the UFO uh, scenes, right? Yeah. So I yeah. think you know, there's, there's, it's spread out in the in, in Fire in the Sky, but I think you'd have a lot more excessive effects and, and over the top scenes. So what, I do like the simplicity of Fire in the Sky. It's, it's, it, it, at the end of the day, it's a story about this group of friends and can they survive the the doubt that is placed upon them. Now I have done a lot of road trips around the American Southwest, New Mexico, mm-hmm. Arizona. Yeah. And what I love about fire in the sky is it never left my imagination when I'm down there. When I see late night stars, when I'm in those areas, I always think about that story that took place Yeah. and the mystery of, did it happen? Was it drugs? Was it their imagination? Yeah. And it also, it stars uh, Robert Patrick fresh off of Terminator two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of years after I think. Yeah. And Henry Thomas as well, who was in E.T. E.T., and, yeah. And at that time, Legends of the Fall. Yeah. Fire in the Skies, yeah, it's one of those movies that was a Paramount film that had it's sort of, you know, it's about eight eight years after Back to the Future, but it still had, it was, still, it was a movie that was shot on film. It still had that earnestness and sincerity that I think movies did up until that point. And yeah. like I said, to me, it had the best alien when we think of in our imagination of, of being abducted or what it's like to be on a spaceship or mm-hmm. what that might look like or feel like, you know, there's obviously 
interest in knowing what the visuals might be, but it's something about the way they orchestrated that experience was such such a perfect blend of fear, of fascination, of wonder, of like being abducted of what that might feel like. And it's just yeah. crazy because 30 years, I think it came out 30 years ago. What's going on with movies coming out in, on the 93? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, you had, you had uh, Jurassic Park as well. That's right. Yeah. And then 10 years later, 10 years later, we all know what happened. But of course. Uh, <laughs> I, and it, it was funny because I bring up Fire in the Sky to a lot of filmmakers and a lot of film fans. Mm-hmm. And they always say the same thing. That movie was the most terrifying experience of my teenagers or or watching you know watching that movie that scene in particular dear me that is that is terrifying that scene that is absolutely i I had goosebumps i I was genuinely terrified it was it was a great horror movie scene fantastic yeah i mean because 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 we heard a lot of stories of animals being abducted or cows being Mm -hmm. abducted or and then we thought we thought what happens to us if we get abducted and they do all those weird and weird things to, you know, as you know, as you know, in the movie, mm-hmm. and then you wonder what kind of damage does that do? And that's what was so, so interesting when he returns to earth, he's not really injured. Right. So it's like, yeah, is there some sort of technology that they have or some sort of advanced, mm-hmm. do they, they obviously don't want to kill him or injure him. So it's like, what is, what is that about? And then where do they go after that? Or, there's yeah. just so many questions that it that it brought out. And being a teenager, I thought that was like it said based on a true story. I'm like that happened. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this is what happens for sure. Like you don't think it's an account. So it was especially terrifying at 14. Anytime you'd see a, a light in the sky or a movement, you always think stay indoors because that could happen to me. Yeah, yeah, great. So do you? Is that your favorite scene for the film, or do you have uh, another one, Greg? I think for me, so you have the opening with where, with the abduction scene. I always loved as well. And of course, the the alien stuff is is I think the strongest part of the film. But the scene that I really liked was when the guys are approached by those weird science planet people. Because um, I think the movie up until that point, you're wondering, you're wondering, and then they brought in a really nice moment of, of question of bringing it back to the unknown. Because you have mm-hmm. so many groups of people that always say, oh, for sure alien exists. Like you got to be, yeah, you got you to be stupid not to believe that. And then you have oh, the flip yeah. side of being like, you have no proof. Why, why would aliens exist? It's all mm-hmm. hype. It's all, you know, it's all fiction. And so just seeing those two sides come together of, of, of those people coming in with the knowledge and then opening their eyes. And I think it's a really nice moment because now as a viewer, you're totally lost of what's coming or you're confused. And then of course the phone call comes in at the perfect yeah. moment and that, and that yeah. brings it all together. But I really love rewatching it. I thought there was way, way more alien stuff in it than I remember. Tim, is that him? I think so. Mike Rogers. Excuse me, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Whitlock. I'm uh, Jarvis Powell from afar. We uh, had a lot of experience in these matters and I think we might be able to help each other out. Well, uh, we just wanted to let you know that there are those of us out there who know the truth. And finally, Greg, the final piece of the jigsaw. What's the third film? The third film is my favorite movie of 2022. And that is Mm. a movie that was released by A24 called Pearl. Fantastic. Yeah, the prequel to Ty West's 70s set horror movie X 
Pearl stars the outstanding Mia Goth as Pearl, a small-town gal with dreams of making it big in the world of showbiz, but Pearl's behaviour threatens all around her as she embarks on a disturbing rampage of violence. An outstanding film. Why do you love this one, Greg? So I love this movie, obviously, for many reasons, but I saw it. So I saw X, and I really enjoyed yeah. X for what it was. I yeah, thought it was great. enjoyable, and, and I, mm-hmm. I love that that style of horror film. Um, yeah. So I was in Chicago uh, with some friends, and we had a morning to kill. And I remember seeing the poster of Pearl, and I thought, whatever. I don't. I didn't need to see it. I didn't. I didn't. I was what uh, whatever on it. And so it was a matinee showing. It was about eleven thirty in the morning. We had time to kill. We're like, let's just go see Pearl. Yeah. There was about seven people in the theater. And this is why, it's, to me, it's so important to go see a movie in a theater. I sat in there, and from the moment it started, I was just like, this movie was made for me. I love yeah. the this, the character-based story. It had a Wizard of Oz feel to it. Very one much. Of my, one of my all-time favorites. Very much. And it had a um, – it was just such a like isolated feeling that I think as an artist – from when you're living, you live in a small town, or you're from a different place. We all feel what she felt. We yeah. feel like the trying to get away from your your family, your chores. That life is such a hard breakaway. And mm-hmm. so when she has these like internal moments of darkness, of wondering, can she make it? Is she great? Does she have it? And just the dark, the the slow turn to darkness to me was just. So interesting. Again, we're watching at 11.30 a.m. In a, in a small theater. I didn't know what was coming, but I was so hooked on her character. I also thought yeah. it was really fascinating because we still were going through part of the pandemic. And they filmed this during the pandemic. So their, the, the people were still wearing masks because yeah. it was set during the last pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so it was such a simple setup with just these like intense characters that I feel like it was a movie we, we don't get to see that often. We don't get to yeah. see sort of a throwback to that era and what that be mm-hmm. like. And, and I love that it took risks. I mean, obviously, if you saw it, the scarecrow scene was like Whew. insane, made, made you <laughs> made you laugh in a way that you're like, they're going for it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was, to me, it was like X was sort of the traditional general horror film, right? Pearl yeah, gave you something that that was like way beyond that. It was a horror, mm-hmm. much harder horror film to make that I just was so thrilled with. And I, I felt the dread coming for every character. And I think one of the strongest scenes is the audition scene. Um, yes. Because that's something we can all relate to. You know, we go mm-hmm. out there and we believe we're something and then we're dealt that reality. And just the way it was shot. Mia Goth was such a powerhouse. And then having grown up with European parents and mm. with the German mom and, and the dad, it was just something yeah. that um, just was such a creepy element of disturbing that I just admired in so many ways. I mean, Mia Goth's performance, it, it, it's Oscar-worthy. She is outstanding in, well, throughout the film, but there are about three or four standout moments. They're kind of out of place for a horror movie. You kind of accept that horror movies... The acting's never really that great, but in this, and it is so much different to X, like you said, X, it's a great horror movie, but this, it's gone up another three levels, and I'm just thrilled as well because you wouldn't normally get these kind of films. A24 put a lot of emphasis on 
artistic films and independent films. And, you know, it's paid off Ty West as well. He's been slogging in the industry for a while um, and he's made some great films. But this is it's something else, this one. Yeah. And it was also um, I know I think they had made it because they were down in New Zealand during the pandemic. New Zealand, yeah. And, and, and so what I what again I love about this movie is sort of the, the spur of the moment uh, creativity of not yeah. like just saying, hey, let's let's go make this film. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's write it. We don't need tons of people to do this. Let's sit down, Mia Goth, and I think it was Ty West, and they're like, let's just write this together. Let's, you know, we got yeah. this character. We have this time. Make the most of this this moment. You don't need a lot to go out and make a film that sometimes the planning takes away from that, like that raw movie making moment where you're you're ready to go. Like you just, I, I love yeah. the idea they just made this during the pandemic and they just, they just, yeah, the spontaneity it. of it. Favorite scene for Pearl, Greg, which one is it? There are a number of them. I think the monologue at the end was was something that probably I admired the most in the sense of acting because it's really hard to let a camera keep going and let that genuine performance come out so unfiltered. But I think for me, the, the scene that, I like I've shown this movie now to a couple people and they they thought that for some reason that I said this movie's inspiring. That's what they went in <laughs> watching it. And so they're watching it and it gets to the scarecrow scene and they look over at me and they're like, You're ridiculous. I was like, What? They're like, This is an inspiring film. Um, but I love the oh, something else I didn't touch on. I also love the relationship with the film projectionist. That yeah. to me has sort of an underbelly feel of darkness of where the Wizard of Oz could have gone. Like this could be mm-hmm. a prequel to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that relationship. I thought I loved how it represented a lot of toxic relationships in the film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, of that desperation of of, of of clinging of why you know I thought that was really um, you know I thought that was very very well done. But I'd say my favorite yeah. scene has to be the audition. That goes uh, very, very poorly, and then the play out of that with the with the blonde girl who then goes, yeah, to see Pearl. I think that section to me is when I it just it's 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 a scene I can watch over and over because you can feel the dread coming. What's in the suitcases? All my things I need for going on the road. Wow, you're confident. Rumor has it they may only be taking one gal per town. Has to be me. <laughs> I don't think you meant to say that out loud, Pearl. <laughs> well, if it's not me, then I hope it's you, right? It has to be me. So, Greg, you've got a, a lot going on in your world at the moment, keeping very busy. Obviously, I'd be remiss not to bring up the room, which I believe is celebrating its twentieth anniversary this week. It was the twenty seventh of June. Was the two thousand and three was the premiere? Yeah, premiered in LA on June 27th, 2003. It was a night I'll never forget. It was a mm. movie that obviously I had a, a VHS rough cut of it and I showed my friends and family and right. we had enjoyed it and talked about it and laughed about it and quoted it. So it became a different reality when all of a sudden now the public was going to see this film. Yeah, And then that became super interesting because in LA, Tommy had put up billboards like he was going for it. And so now we yeah. had a theater full of people. I'm now seeing it with a crowd for the first time. Mm. And people just had a blast. They laughed. They started even quoting it the first night. And you saw this masterpiece of, of comedy or whatever it was come to life. We were all just super confused because 
we had no idea what the hell what it, what it was. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and Tommy, Tommy saw there was a draw, and he stuck to it, and he kept the billboard up. He there were screenings of it, and um, you know, it just built up this huge cult following in Los Angeles, and kept growing. And so here we are, twenty years later, and I went from thinking, oh, you know, I. I don't know what people think of the room when they see me in it. Is it something I, I should steer away from? But now 20 years later, I'm like, no, this is a movie that has done what so many filmmakers would really hope that their films do. It's got longevity. Yeah. It's timeless. It's now traveled through generations. It's traveled the world. And that's something that I've over 20 years have come to appreciate and admire in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an incredible story as well. Like the the story of the production and the story of how it's grown over the last twenty years, and and up through all your trials and tribulations, you're obviously still friends with Tommy. You've you've been in a, a few movies together. You obviously still love working together. Yeah, I think with the room, it was a different experience because Tommy, it was you know his brainchild. He masterminded it, so you were sort of existing on Tommy's planet, making the room. <laughs> but from meeting Tommy in that acting class, I met him in 1998 in San Francisco mm-hmm. in an acting class, and I immediately was drawn to his persona, his character, his comedy. Um, he's just he's just a larger than life character, and so when we became friends, I was always engaged with how he saw the world. So. A few years, um, a few years ago, I wrote and produced a movie called Best Friends, and Tommy's in that mm-hmm. movie, and he plays yeah. a uh, a vampire mortician. And we did some screenings in the UK. We actually Lionsgate released it worldwide on streaming, and yeah. so therefore, working with him on that project, I really enjoyed it because you could tap into his persona, his character, his strengths as an actor, and I think um, yeah. that's what I've really enjoyed is being able to embrace that. Great. Yeah, and I was very interested to find out doing a bit of research that there is a, a remake of sorts on the way starring Bob Odenkirk and yourself reprising the role of Mark. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Oh yeah, so so for the 20th anniversary they did a they did a stage reading for charity on a green screen and Bob did the lines of Johnny, I did the lines right. of Chris R. And uh, it's supposed to come out sometime this year, but um it's uh yeah, it's a reading for for charity and Bob Odenkirk is one of my favorite actors. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the last 10 years of, of, of TV and he's given us just endless amount of, of incredible work. So uh, it was a fun time. And anytime you get to get to be around your, some of your heroes, it's, it's really fun. And especially getting to see him read some lines as Johnny was great. Yeah. Fantastic. And the chair, the charity is called uh, acting for a cause. That's when they recreate the great, they did the great Gatsby, Julius Caesar, uh, classic right. works of cinema. So how the room ended up in there is pretty interesting, but uh, <laughs> I think it fits perfectly. Um, so I would rewatch the disaster artist. Uh, how much kind of artistic license was taken in the film compared to, you know, real life and how it was for you and in, in your book as well. So the book, the disaster artist for me, it was the, obviously telling the, the story of my journey, coming to Los Angeles, making the room, my friendship um, with Tommy and you know if you're going to turn that into a film mm-hmm. there's a lot of crazy moments of tommy's backstory you know explaining my my journey through the friendship so i think with the with the adaptation it's much more a condensed version of of the friendship of two guys yeah, of following their dreams so i think the book is definitely like darker and weirder and mm-hmm. more more insane in a lot of ways yeah. 
So yeah. I think they kind of more, made it more cohesive and a story that people don't love, you know, don't love making up movies, don't know the room. They can sit down and watch it and still enjoy it. And that's what's so, that, yeah. yeah, that's what's so cool is over the years, like all around the world, people saw the disaster artist and they loved it and it inspired them and they wanted to find out more about it. So the movie was, disaster artist was not an easy movie to make and you got to just give so much mm-hmm. credit to James Franco and Seth Rogen, the screenwriters, did yeah. a great job really thinking it through of what what can we make something that's a timeless story about the make you know about yeah a story about Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it's a great film. And you're working on a new film right now, Forbidden Sky. I've noticed today that it's just been one hundred percent funded on Kickstarter, which is absolutely incredible news. You've got to be excited about that. Yeah, I so I um so I made Best Friends Volume One and Two with Tommy, then I made a a movie called Miracle Valley, which is a again, it's sort of got an X quality. Somebody was telling me when they uh, they saw Miracle Valley that I wrote, directed, yeah. starred, produced. Sounds familiar. Um, but they said <laughs> it, it was a seven, it was a seventies horror eccentric vibe, and and so they said reminded them of X, which is uh, obviously a big compliment. So um, again, I love genre stories. So I'm I uh, the next thing I want to work on is a movie called Forbidden Sky about a UFO abduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and oddly enough, I'm trying to get Travis Walton from fire in the sky, the real life subject to have a cameo in this film and cool. we're going to make it in Roswell, New Mexico. But we, uh, yeah, we teamed up with Kickstarter. I'd never done anything like this before, but with it being the mm-hmm. room's 20 year anniversary, I thought what a great chance to involve all those fans who have supported you for 20 years now to give them the chance yeah. to be in the film and be part of production calls and see what it's like to to get out there and make a film. So we're hoping to make it early next year. Yeah. It's called forbidden sky. The Kickstarter campaign is still live for, I think two more days. We have some crazy stretch goals. We're trying to get, uh, <laughs> so the idea is that the, the story is about a small town radio host who used to be an actor in a really bad sci-fi TV show. Um, they right. kind of galaxy quest. And so, so the mm-hmm. show got canceled and he was like, wait, the show was really saying something. People don't get it. So he's kept living as that character in his life that he played in the show. So now all of a right. sudden he's like, he's a radio host for a really crazy conspiracy show that nobody listens to. But late one night, this alien race uh, comes down to earth and they only want, they're orbiting earth and they only want to speak to him. So now all of a sudden he's this important <sighs> figure in this thing. So within the movie is, a, is, is flashbacks to a really bad sci-fi TV show. So we're trying to get some cameos, maybe get like a guy like, I don't know if you know, Neil Breen, getting other yeah cult yeah actors. yeah no he, yeah he's kind of like a um kind of like an underground director sure 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 so let's try to incorporate different you know obviously we're making you're going out and trying to make a good film something uh of, the, yeah. of, of a fire in the sky or something that stands on its own but also working in these kind of undercurrents of cult weirdness as well mm-hmm I've seen the uh, the artwork for, or what what may be the provisional artwork for Forbidden Sky, and is that an homage to Fire in the Sky, the the one sheet for Fire in the Sky? So the poster is. I'm working with this artist in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great. He did he did the covers for Miracle Valley as well. Um, but we're going yeah, for just great. sort of a vintage aesthetic. I don't think mm-hmm. he's ever seen Fire in the Sky, but maybe just really? the, the soul of what we're trying to make, I think, is there. But um, yeah, I think um. We're going to try to tie in a few of these movies that I love. Another another A24 film I love was Ex Machina. And um, that was another oh, yeah. big inspiration for this as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you're filming the start of next year. When can we expect to see it? Probably, I'd say, late 2024. You know, we don't get abducted, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, or 2025. We'll we'll see how we how we do. But it's one of those projects to be really fun to take your time with it and and do it right. Great. Yeah, excited to see it, and hopefully I'll be able to see that remake of the room. That sounds that's really interesting. And it's yeah. your birthday in a couple of weeks, Greg. That's is that right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Wonderful. July fifteenth. Many happy Gotta returns. Figure out what to do. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Greg, and talking movies with us. It's really been great to have you on. Anytime. Thank you. Big thanks to Greg for stopping by. Don't forget to check out his new films. As for all the right movies, our next podcast on classic and hit films will be on All the President's Men. That'll be out Friday, 7th of July on all major podcast platforms. If you do like the podcast, you can sign up to be an All the Right Movies Patreon supporter. You get access to all of the podcasts that we've created exclusively for Patreon and our classic podcast archive combined. It's bursting at the seams with around 120 episodes on classic and hit films exclusively available to our patrons and also you can buy them individually on our website. There are other benefits as well, so go to patreon.com forward slash all the right movies to support us and get access to hundreds of hours of great content. It'd be great if you could give us a positive rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. In the meantime, we're everywhere on social media. On Twitter, we are at ATWrightMovies, at all the underscore right movies on Instagram. Join our Facebook group, follow us on TikTok at all the right movies. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. They're going up regularly and they're first class. And finally, our website with loads of incredible features is alltherightmovies.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Come back next week for All the President's Men. We'll see you soon.